The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. So yeah, I, I have material that I just give. <laughs> That's my way. That's mm. my gift of showing up in this world, especially like with children. There's children out there. If I've had parents who reach out to me because uh, their children are going through something like that. Yeah. This is my medicine is to help in these areas as well as shadow work, which all human beings can benefit from, mm. which is a fancy word for internal reflection internal healing work. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest. We fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. Like a nephew and beast. What are we doing here? You mean looking to this show? Where the more that you learn is the less that you know. Where the wounded are healer. And the atheist pray? It's a wonderful chaos. And we like it that way. It's such a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. Hello, hello, hello. We are live. Yes, we are. We're live from sunny Amsterdam. Really sunny Amsterdam. And Andy has a towel around him because today he wasn't walking. No, no, no. No, he cycled. I cycled three hours to a little village called Finkelfein outside of Amsterdam. Why would you do such a thing? <laughs> you know, for three years, I've owned a boat. And I've owned this boat, which I love, but I've never visited my boat because I don't have anywhere to charge it. It's an electric boat. And since I no longer live near or on a gracht, on a canal, I can't charge the boat. So I just left it there. And now I'm going to sell it. So if anyone in Amsterdam or in the area wants an electric boat, it's for sale. I've got a video and I'll post it today. We'll start bidding today. Yes, start bidding today. So today, Andy, we have Leslie Phillips. Yeah, we do. This is going to be fun because you see she has declared herself to be a shadow shaman. (laughs) And I think we both agree that that's uh, another word for healer, which is great. Yes. And there's a lot of us in the world doing it in different ways and suiting different people. Yeah, And uh, we brought her on to discuss how she helps people bring things out of the shadows. Whenever we, we have shows where the words trigger or shadows, uh, um, I'm, I'm projecting that we're going to have a lot of people that get triggered and shadows yeah. watching. Really? Except for J.C. Barnett. J.C. Barnett. He's just there like a fly on the wall. He is. He sent me that message last week that said, he liked what you and Bola Long had to say a lot during the shows. So. Which means shut up, Andy. No, he didn't. I thought it did. <laughs> and then I asked him. He said, no, it just meant that the questions you ask will be questions that help him understand what the hell is really going on when we're doing the show. Understood. So, uh, Leslie mm-hmm. Phillips, I thought when I read her story and we talked to her just a moment ago, she shared that. Her whole life, she's been sort of a dark, morbid person. And I can relate with being a bit dark and morbid. Are you kidding me? I grew up dark and morbid. Yeah. I mean, you know, my clothing, I didn't necessarily listen to like the Smiths or the Cure or anyone like there was, I mean, I did listen to them, but I didn't dress the part. Let's put it that way. Okay. So, but outside of that, like um, there was, uh, I thought a lot about death when I was a kid. And uh, and certainly if, when you're in high school and talking about death, I, I don't think you're making a lot of friends. <laughs> They're trying to figure out how to get laid. And you're basically talking about, you know, eternal non-existence. Yes. Yes, you did that. And if you want to he- read more about that, you can... <laughs> You can read a lot about that if you're You can read a lot about that in the first couple of chapters of this book. Yeah. The last letter. Yes. Even the name is like... Yeah, <clears throat> it's morbid. In fact, that was so, I was told by several people I was not supposed to come out with that book title because it was too morbid. Yeah. Embracing pain to create a meaningful life was a subtitle. And everyone was like, Andy, you know, who wants to embrace pain? Talk about happiness. <laughs> and I was like, you know, 
I'd love to talk about happiness, but you don't become happy until you embrace pain. So that's the like, paradox. How do you like, how do I help you pretend like trying to be happy is going to make you happy? I, I gave up on that some time ago. Mm. And um, the one other thing I like uh, about Leslie is that she also has a similar trait to what I um, found in myself, which is that I was born naturally trigger happy. Meaning two things. Like uh, I, at a younger age, was triggered by others, but I also triggered a lot of other people. And I still do trigger people when I'm confident sharing what I see or experience. And I see that uh, a lot of individuals will get triggered by that. A lot of people get triggered by me. I, I haven't figured it out. Yeah. I think if you show up in the world and you're really authentic, it can be very threatening because a lot of people, the more authentic you are, the more there's a contrast to how they're behaving, especially if they're hiding stuff. But and, they probably won't see themselves and they'll point the finger. Yeah, exactly. Because they get nervous. I mean, I knew, I know, you know, with my mentor case, I remember for years he would finish a training and he did something that really annoyed me. He always would say, damn, I'm good. Damn, damn, I'm good. good. You say, damn, I'm good. Like to validate the training. And I would always be on the other side kind of thinking, well, you know, no training is that good. And, you know, they're going to regress later. Like I'd, al I'd often feel, and what I saw was that it took me time just to mm -hmm. celebrate where my victories were coming in life. And, uh, and so now it's funny. I'll hear myself say, damn, I'm good. Um, and then I'll be really embracing the time with Case. It's a really, uh, it's self-love, but there's also a degree which it's loving case, um, who's obviously not no longer with us. Yeah. yeah. And with that, Andy, shall we bring her on? Yes, we shall. We bring you. Hello, Leslie. Leslie. Anything that you didn't want to correct before we start? No, I think that was great. Yeah. So when did you like start to trigger the people around you? When did you know that you were different and that there was something you were doing that was um, igniting fires around you? I was eight years old and I was growing up in the church and I started having a lot of questions that started really pissing people off in the church. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, Things just weren't making sense to me. And the more it didn't make sense, the more questions I had. And uh, that created kind of this loophole where the, the it, they basically told me that I had a lot of darkness in me and it was separating me from God. And it kind of created this. I started getting punished for it. Oof. Yeah. This and is happening at the age of eight. This is at eight years old. Yeah. So what happened is I started having gifts that began to unfold and they hmm. became demonized. So then I became very scared of them and it created this kind of cycle where <laughs> they kept unfolding and I kept becoming scared of it. And uh, it started triggering a lot of things within me and that kept triggering people outside of me. Hmm. Um, so basically shadow work was something I started doing Um without knowing at the time what that even was, because yeah. I started asking a lot of internal questions. What, is, what does this mean? Where is this coming from? Why am I here? What's the point of humanity? Yeah. Where do we go after? You know what I mean? And it, it was big questions. So as a child, I had a hard time focusing in school because nobody could answer these big questions. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of people around me that was like, you're too young to be asking all these questions. None of this matters right now for you. Like just learn your math, you know, pass this test. But I had true anxiety and I was having night terrors that nobody could help me figure this out. Yeah. yeah. What were your night terrors like? Cause I had night terrors as well. I've never heard them phrased night terrors, but like, how would those look in your, in your experience? Oh God. <laughs> uh, no, it was like, like a three headed tiger and like the middle tiger is eating the face off of the one beside it. Um, you know, like a man cutting holes in my face. I was in like a slaughterhouse on wheels and there was like this beautiful sunset outside of the door. And, you know, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm a child. So I'm not on any type of drugs or, yeah. you know, 
hallucinogenics. And, uh, and all of them, it was some type of, I needed to fight some type of battle. There was like something that I needed to face. Um, but it was a long time before I knew how. So a lot of the times it was me being paralyzed in the dream. I see a way out, but I don't know how to get there. So I would be terrified. And then as I got into my adulthood, I started learning how to, um, I didn't know it was lucid dreaming at the time, but I would be so scared. I would freeze the dream or I would learn how to like go through the wall or drop through the floor. But it was only because it got so intense. It was almost like I couldn't handle my psyche, couldn't handle it or something. Um, so as I did shadow work, uh, I learned how to actually face the monster in the dream or whatever and actually Mm. fight it. And then it wasn't so scary. Like it would turn into a flower. Like, oh, okay. Now it's not a, a monster. It's a flower. Yeah. You know, it's a rain. And uh, you do realize if you were born in the Middle Ages, you'd be declared a witch. And yeah, burnt. you'd be a witch for sure. <laughs> they would burn you. Yeah, that, they that... would burn you for sure because you have these sort of visions that, that would totally be associated with with dark, dark uh you know, energies. And it threatened uh, the patriarchy yeah. and you as a woman, the feminine, the power of the feminine, Oof. all that shit would have like, let's demolish this. Yeah. Um, it, it went a little bit too quick in your description as you were speaking. I'm wondering when on your journey did you start to see it as a superpower as opposed to something that you would have to push away or suppress? I'm going to almost say sadly, because um, I, I, most of my childhood and teens were pretty much robbed from me being scared and like depressed from this. So I'm 32 years old and it wasn't until five years ago (laughs) that I finally understood that this was something good for me, that this was Mm -hmm. actually a gift. So the whole time I thought this was something bad about me, something that I needed to uh, like a curse. Yeah. Um, it what, was, what exactly happened to make, give you the realization that this is actually a good thing that's happening for you? A shaman found me. Hmm. I was still battling a lot of confusion because of all the religious conditioning shaman found me. And she was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. We need to work together. I like, we need to work together and it, she changed my life and mm-hmm. brought me into shamanism. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is part of your journey right now, whether you stay on this path, this is part of your journey right now. And that was the clarity for me and things changed fast. Yeah. Yeah. So she gave you the love that you needed to <laughs> ground yourself in your experience is what I hear. Yeah. And as you were growing up, how, how was that? Like, can you can you talk a little bit about the little girl in relationship? To, I don't know if you have siblings in relationship to your parents at school. Like, what? Who who were you, and what kind of mask would you have to wear to interact with the world, survive? So I was really really quiet. Um, I had a lot of spiritual experiences. Uh, I would know things about people that I didn't. So if I stood beside you without touching you, I would just know things about you. Uh, I would, I could feel pain in people and I could specifically like, I could see the imprint of this person lost their mom to a car wreck or Mm. this person has cancer. And I didn't know how I knew this. And I learned quickly that you, you couldn't just say that. Right. Um, so I was just really, really quiet and awkward. Um, and if I saw things dying, I had to bury it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I tried hard to not show that, but I, I couldn't help that. So like um, if kids were bullying somebody or ki- like hurting an animal for no reason, I always intervened. Mm. So I, it was a struggle to fit in. Um, I basically had to kind of the mask I wore was just kind of the... Uh, the quiet, good girl, always mm. with a book, kept to herself, uh, didn't really talk. 
unless it was to stick up for somebody or I would just randomly feel led to go put my, so my palms burn, my palms and feet burn. It's like a, a some type of healing energy. And if I felt like someone was really battling some type of depression or pain, I randomly just see if I could give them a hug or, or touch palms. And then I would just move on. I wouldn't get attached, but I would just send love and then just like move on. But um, very long, a very uh, long kind of exi existence. 32 years. Yes. I, I can almost, I can feel my own tears coming, just mm -hmm. feeling that that's like a good chunk of life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I, there was beautiful things about that too. I learned a lot about me. Uh, a lot of alone time, self-reflection, learned about me on the inside. Uh, and I and I'm completely with you. And there's the, the, there's the part of me that that little girl needed the love that she got at the age of 32, and yeah. she couldn't find it. And I'm also speaking for myself as a child. Mm -hmm. uh, I was being bullied. There was no safety at home. So in a way, I my whole thing was I'm hungry for connection. Yeah, I had to go through a 10 year drug addiction before I came out the other end and kind of said, Oh, this doesn't make sense. And now now I need to kind of discover who who this guy is yeah i did i went through an addiction phase yes that was like probably the only guaranteed comfort i knew is mm -hmm. how i would explain the addiction phase it was like a guaranteed comfort yes mm -hmm. um you said that you can read people yeah <laughs> <laughs> tell me about tell us about andy So with Andy, um, I definitely, I definitely feel humor. I feel humor with Andy, and it's like uh, that's his way of dealing. That's his way with life. His way of dealing with life, and uh, kind of like, um, almost like if you if you deal with pain, you can either drown in your pain and like focus on how bad it hurts, or you can embrace the pain and use humor as a way to kind of balance that you know what I mean like this is going to hurt so I'm going to bring humor into my life to lean into that pain and not let it just you know as so I can feel his humor as a way of uh, moving through that pain but I, I definitely can feel like there has been great pain in Andy's life and that humor has been his way of balancing that um but and there's a sensitivity to Andy. I feel this very beautiful sensitivity to Andy, and it's uh, but and it's deeper than what uh, I feel like probably typically gets shown. It's more like it, it's a a sensitivity. It's much more beautiful and deeper than I feel like is actually portrayed, or you would most people would probably actually perceive meeting him, if that makes sense. Um. And it's, it's, and I, for some reason, I feel the word very artistic too. I don't know Andy very well, but feeling very artsy kind of vibe to it. Um, but yeah, I feel like humor is actually a coping thing for Andy. And it's, it's a beautiful, refreshing thing. It's refreshing because, uh, you know, pain hurts everybody and uh, it can be very difficult. And for some reason, I'm getting this weird pressure filling my chest. I'm not sure what that's about. But, um, you know, it can be difficult. Like if we go around somebody who is always negative with their pain, I use that word loosely because I don't like to use positive or negative. But if someone's always heavy, right, it can be difficult because we all deal with pain. And so I feel like Andy's humor is refreshing because it kind of helps keep this feeling of we don't all have to to drown in our pain when we're around Andy. It kind of brings this energy of like life can be hard, so let's let's laugh, you know, like let's have some joy, let's you know have a beautiful beautiful experience. And I feel like that's part of his gift is being able to bring some uh, joy into the room. That's what I'm feeling. It's like a pick. Up. And so I feel like it's probably very nice being around Andy, especially if he's been going through a hard time 
a really good friend to have around. That's what I'm feeling. Um, I don't know how deep you want me to go in public, so that's why I'm trying to keep it like. You can go as deep as you want. Yeah? Yeah. How, how much of this resonates for you so far? I mean, it's like, you know, kind of bombos. No, it's totally there. Are you kidding me? Of course. No, it's all there. It's really sweet. I I, uh, I feel emotional when you speak because clearly uh, I do see that when I'm on the show, you know, there will be depth of which will engage people and I'll let it be whatever is sort of safe and comfortable on the show. But there's so much deeper that uh, it, it's usually off air and yeah. uh, and it's not important. I don't. I don't, I'm not one, I think being authentic doesn't mean trying to be authentic. It means just being authentic with what is in the moment. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah. Yeah. You are and the artist thing. Totally. I, I see you like he creates things, but he wouldn't, I don't, you would you call yourself an artist? No, but I mean, I love like, you know, I have Delft, a Delft collection, this Dutch pottery and like several pieces broke. So I made a sculpture that was like so high and elaborate, very, very nice. You could easily sell it. Then Bombos broke it. So <laughs> but until that moment, I was really happy about that sculpture. <laughs> uh, and that's the pain that you feel. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. The, the, I think the, you know, the uh, interesting thing was the humor from a young age was very much a coping because I was so sensitive and I saw that other people weren't addressing the obvious, the things that were going on. And, and therefore the only way I could let out my release, just the tension that was built up was mm -hmm. through the humor of it, through saying everything that everyone was denying. And then at least I got to like, let go of that energy. You know, they could sit with it, but I got the humor in the moment of, uh, of course, there's no problem here, you know, or whatever it would be that would would name the the uh, the elephant in the room. Yeah, I was about to say the elephant in the room. That's weird. What about the the pressure in the chest? Does that resonate for you in any way? Um, no, I mean the the pressure when I've felt it is more in the throat. Okay. So I'm very constricted, like when when their emotions come up then the, the emotions will come up in the, in the throat. But chest, we mean this chest, we mean like, like with ch chest here, heart area. Yeah. For some reason, I just felt like a, it was like a heaviness or something. It was like an, it was like intense and it was short. It was like a very short, intense heaviness. <sighs> mm. I describe it as a pressure, but it's, it's like a heaviness and then it was gone. It was intense. That might be his heart beating from cycling three hours. <laughs> well, it, I mean, you know, I, I uh, at some point there's things that hit me and I say, yeah, that's very much connected. And some I would stretch to find a connection that right. would be less authentic. But, yeah, I mean, everything, yeah. everything that I that you say is very, very aligned with. Uh, I felt seen and very, very seen. Yeah. Not not the, the horoscope like, oh, he could say this and it applies yeah. to everybody. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, so you're, you're sensitive and, and I'm wondering, like, when I've held space for people, sometimes, especially in large groups, it's really difficult. Like, what do you do when, when things enter you? How do you how do you navigate that in your own life? If, if applicable, that is. Uh, so I do a lot of energy work before, like as soon as I wake up in the morning in the middle of my day and before I go to bed because I have a three-year-old and she's really, she's an, uh, has a lot of empathy too. And we kind of mirror each other, mm. which is scary because she's, <laughs> I really want her to have a totally different experience, which is not for me to decide. And she's already showing so many signs that she's going to have a lot of similarities of an experience. Um, so, and I, I work with a lot of water. So basically just cleansing energy and setting boundaries. Um, because I, I try to be very respectful and honorable about, I don't want 
other people to accidentally take on stuff from me either, you know, especially any pain that I might still be carrying. I don't want that heaviness going on to people. So I try to really set those boundaries and cleanse and do the best I can and set my intentions. I think setting intentions is really powerful. Mm -hmm. I try to do that too. Yeah, that's something that I, I've said to you a lot when we talked about doing any work is that if like I'm, you know, you, I don't know you what terms you were using just now, but if I'm not centered and center would mean for me, if I'm not triggering in myself and then reacting to that in my correspondence or coaching or mentoring with another, then I don't want to be doing it because when I see is that I, I'm sort of not reacting to them I'm reacting to something in myself that I'm not exactly sure of, and therefore it's bleeding into and then not serving the other person in the end. Yeah. And, and we can never know because there'll always be things we don't know about ourselves. So it would also right. be ignorant to say we know. But there are times when we know if I'm talking, then there's something going on that I'm just triggered by that I'm not allowing myself to see. So that's clearly one of these golden kind of north stars that I always drive with when I'm doing my own work. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, I love this too. I heard once about how being conscious is just being aware of how unconscious we are. Yeah. And that's how I describe that now ever since I heard that. It's like, well, that makes total sense. And me being authentic for me is, always relative to how aware I am of myself Yeah, because I notice that I keep unfolding and learning more about what being authentic Leslie looks like. Yeah. yeah. There's some comments that have come in as well, by the way, we can bowl along from South Africa says Christians would tell you that you have demons. They would pray for you or even exercise you things. I think, don't work. I think he says, I think they don't work is his soft way of saying, I think it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> he's often, he's often sharing his distrust and uh, frustration with the church and how it's influencing others in ways that don't serve. Mm-hmm. So no, I went down that route. They, uh, I, they have come in. I had, I remember going through times where I had to get rid of everything. They had to get rid of all my art. They came in. I had to get rid of all my movies. I mean, I went through stages like that. Are where, you serious? Yes, yes, where they told me that it was because of demonic possession. And and I was. I was terrified. Oh, my. So this is in Oklahoma we're talking about yes, now? Yes, it's the Bible Belt. This is the Bible Belt. So um, there's somebody that enters the house and says, you have demonic things going on and we need to get yes. rid of them. Yes. <sighs> That happened. Um, how, old, how old are you when this happens? I was in, I was, okay. So when they came in, I was in my early to mid twenties. I was about 26. 26 when they did this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because I sought help. I was about 26, 26 when I sought help because I basically had almost like a psychological breakdown. I was going through a lot of confusion I was not, I was in an abusive situation at the time. So that didn't help. And I was having spiritual experiences that, um, it was almost like going through a dark night of the soul and having another level of awakening. And I was dealing with kind of like psychosis basically. And because of that deep conditioning, my reaction was to go get help. Mm -hmm. And I had already, here's what was crazy. I'd already went to, a psychiatrist convinced they were going to be like, yeah, she's crazy. But they told me that I was too insightful for them to actually diagnose me with something, which shocked me. I thought, well, no, you've got it wrong. I know there's a mental problem with me. By now, like, I just know. They're like, yeah. really? No, you're too insightful. I don't know what, you know. Um, so then I went to the church and they were like, you're definitely being attacked by Satan. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, okay, what are we doing? Who are you going to trust? The psychiatrist that says you're insightful or the church that says you're demonic? (laughs) Um, Because, you know, I had been raised in church, like literally four days a week. Um, So they came in, they're like, you got to get rid of your paintings. They had me burn them because I'm an artist. 
they had me burn my paintings. They had me um, get rid of my movies. Um, I was like repenting all the time, all this stuff. <clears throat> well, then the problems didn't go away. Yeah. So at that point I was like, all right, I'm done. I've, I've done the church way so many times. I've done all of this. Like, I'm just, I'm done because now I've sacrificed all this stuff. I've gotten rid of stuff I love and I'm still having the same issues. Is it, not a, is it not amazing yes. that we as a society haven't figured out the people that would have your predisposition? Because that's what we would just call it. It's a pretty that there's no system in place to support you in that journey. Because let's let's also agree. I, I think it's hard when we use words like enlightenment or insight because it can go to like a level of arrogance of one sees beyond what other people see. But there is a degree to which when you see through, let's call it this conditioning of church, of society, of family, of just everything that we've kind of come to accept is true, then you're going to go through a psychosis because how the hell do you like see everything you thought was true is now obliterated and you're supposed to be like, oh, okay, it's just another day. And, and like you, you, you're going to have to go through a psychosis of some sort, dark night of the soul, in order to see again with new eyes. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, it fascinates me and frustrates me that we don't have systems in place which can support people in that journey. Because let's be honest, we really don't want people to have that journey because God forbid if everyone's lights were on and everyone saw through religion and societal norms, you know, how do we control everybody anymore? Everyone's just free to be who they want to be. God forbid that would be. Sorry, I just needed to rant there. No, I totally agree. And I think what's scary, and I feel like this is something I wish was different, is when you when you take a child who's gone through trauma. See, my father had committed suicide while we were home when I was a child. He had, I think, gone through a spiritual awakening. This was back in the 80s or early 90s, but didn't know what was happening because mm -hmm. we're a Christian family. And... Um, so you take a child under trauma and you cross them through the path of religion of you can be separated from God, heaven, hell stuff. Um, so now my sense of security and safety has been surrounded with this, this conditioning of church and stuff. So yeah. when I have my spiritual awakenings and stuff and I'm seeing through that this security doesn't actually exist, mm -hmm. I think that psychologically it was just very difficult for me to understand to grasp because trauma looks for, I need to feel safe. Spiritual awakening says you, you're, you're the anchor. You have to be your own anchor. And yeah. I did not know how to, to do that. I did not know how to trust myself to be my own anchor. Yeah. And there, there is, there was no here in Oklahoma anyways, there was no support system. Mm. So it's just like, being in the wind all over the place. Um, and it was hard. I almost committed suicide probably three different times because psychologically I just did not know where, what I was doing. I just did not know how to come back down. Um, because there had never been a foundation to trust myself. It was always, you had to trust something outside of yourself. Yeah. That was like the only way. Hmm. Um, so it was rough. I've spent a lot of time writing about this specific topic in the new book. Did the, you? The, the, yeah, because I've noticed that it's really hard. One of the hardest things I have with coaching or mentoring someone is that you need to trust somebody outside of yourself to help you see yourself. But by doing that, you also give away agency, meaning you give somebody else the idea you, you potentially, I wouldn't say you do, but you potentially give over and say they know better than I do. And by doing that, you lose the opportunity to manage it, your own experience. Yeah. And, and, and it's this fine line because if you're coaching or mentoring a person and you're not aware of that trap because you've got egoic state of I'm great, it can be dangerous because you create a codependency with the, the student. Mm. So even with Bambos and I, you know, we've we've worked closely and I've mentored Bambos, but there's always me showing all of the, the flaws or the faults or the problems or the challenges as far as I can. He's lying. He's perfect. So there's no so there's no um, there's no elevation, per se. Yeah. 
as, as yeah. little as possible. I, th- I think in the beginning of our relationship, I, I did have him on a pedestal. And, it, and as we worked together, he helped me detach from that and kind of see him as an equal as opposed to that. Yeah. And uh, really grateful. Yeah, but it's hard because sometimes I'll also have to, like, be strong and say, no, that's not acceptable. Yeah. But I don't want to do it from an elevated state. I want to do it from uh, we're equals and it's unacceptable. And it's sort of a weird dynamic because some people watching the show at times have been confused, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, and then I realize that, that that we've made agreements of how we want to live and be and cooperate together. And there's something stronger than uh, what society might consider normal. Yeah. 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 You know, I really appreciate that, though. I appreciate hearing that you do that. Um, I think that's really refreshing because there for a while, you know, there was the whole movement of the guru and now we're moving away from there. We don't need a guru. You are your own guru. Um, and so I, I'm really excited to hear that, um, that you have seen that, that you're living that, um, because there for a while, I think there was kind of, uh, the stage of, of teachers and mentors who were really getting kind of attached, uh, to, to titles and to how they are being perceived by others. And I think that is really important is yeah, being I think able the- to help. The, I think the hardest thing that I've seen, not not for me because I don't have that problem, but when people are promoting themselves, they also need to present a persona because that's how people go and join their workshops or their, their trainings. So it's yeah. like this catch-22. I need to portray myself as something so that you find me interesting and project onto me. But by the same token, if I'm good at what I'm doing, the first thing I do is dispel that projection. And so it's a weird, it's a paradox. Like I need you to think I'm special because if you think I'm special, you do my courses. But if I'm any good, the first thing that I'm going to help you see is that we're all special and you just maybe have some tools that you can get from my, uh, you know, my rucksack. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Leslie, um, you talked about you were you were experiencing demons for the just for the mm. like you had. Do you still have those visions? Mm. So I do have a lot of spiritual uh, visions and encounters. There are a lot. Um, I'm gonna use the word positive loosely. They're a lot more healthier now because I'm I've done a lot of work, so I'm in a lot of a healthier. Uh, environment, healthier vibration, I guess you could say. If I did not take care of myself, if I was um, in a lower vibrational, if I'm in, so I know this sounds crazy, but this, and this is why I would believe the church is if I walk into like, like, let's say somebody's doing heroin. Okay. How heroin shows up for me is my vision will do this. This is how I know someone's uh, doing heroin. This is how it shows up for me. Someone is going to die soon. Um, I see death. It's a, and it has a smell. Um, so I would see what I would have called demonic things because that's how it was explained to me in church, but I can see entity type things. That's the only way not explain it. Yeah. Um, because I can see spirits. I can see into spirit realms. And that's something I did as a child, which is why I thought, it was some type of curse. So when they would say that this is not normal, this is not of God, I believed it because I was terrified. There was not a mentor to be like, this is a gift and this is how you use it. Um, So I was trying to explain things that were happening. How do I shut it down? Mm. Um, And that was the wrong question. (laughs) You can't shut it down. How do you see it as a way that can be good? How can you use it to help yourself mm-hmm. and how could you use it to, to help society in general? How can you use it for good? And that was um, a long, it was a long journey yeah. to figure out. I, I have two women in my life who are quite close to me and uh, they both, the, the way they, they both have a similar story. <laughs> like 
one of them, as soon as she goes to sleep, she'll see things crawling on the wall. And it's happened her whole life. And she wakes up screaming. And uh, she, she never found a way to deal with it. And the other one also, she, she wakes up all the time, nightmares, and it, it's like hell on earth for her. Wow. And sometimes she wakes up and she's awake and she'll see things walking around her bed. Okay. Um, if, if she's listening, I hope it's okay that I share it, but I keep her anonymous. Mm. Um, but I'm wondering, it, would that be a little bit an accurate thing? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I fully trust both of these women. Yeah. That, that, like... When you said earlier, oh, the doctor said you're not crazy. I completely know that they're not crazy. So the fact right. that they're having these experiences, just because I don't see it, doesn't mean it's not there. Mm. Right. I think the f most powerful thing that you can do is is to believe that their experience is definitely real. I think that's very important yeah. is to let to hold that space. That is very real for them. One of the things that I, I do for people, for others, is because I can see into realms, I can see those things. And it's how I'm able to help hold that space for other people that they're not creating this. Because a lot of times I can walk in and see the exact same thing that they see without having them ever, without them having ever even told me the details of what they saw. Mm. And so what I try to help do is instead of me coming and chasing the entity out, I take the time to try and help empower this other individual because they hold the key to getting rid of that particular entity. Mm. Um, I know some people don't believe in this stuff, but if, if you are somebody who is having a, an experience like this, typically what has happened is that some type of trauma has occurred where something has basically attached itself to you. And you basically hold the keys to your own freedom. And so through your healing of this particular experience, you're able to de like sever the bond between what is actually keeping this attached to you. It's basically feeding off of you. And so if I come in and I just chase it out for you and you haven't figured out why it's still there, it will come back. So what I do is I help the other person understand why it's there because without realizing it, we have actually agreed to let it be there and we just don't realize it, you know? Um, so once we understand that it's actually in our power to make it go away, because we have subconsciously or consciously chosen to allow it to be there, we actually start to feel comfort. You know, I've agreed to let it be there. Therefore, I actually do have the power to make it away. Once we figure out what that agreement is, we sever the, sever the ties, it's gone for good. It's not nearly as scary as we think it is, but because it's never talked about, we don't have a lot of information about it. All we have is scary movies to really teach us and stuff. It's, and it's not like you can Google it. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, the only thing you're going to find is a lot of, you know, your schizophrenic or. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's nobody that can actually help you and hold your hand through the experience. Right. Or you got a priest who will exer you know, do exorcism. <laughs> so it's like, you know. But yeah. So what I'm getting from you is if I sh if I share this podcast with these two women and they feel compelled to connect with you that they that will be OK. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And you guys can figure out how to work it out. Yes, I, I'm assuming it's your work also, not that this is something you do. It for is. I, I have such a heart and passion for this. I do not. The idea of other people suffering for as long as I did. Oh, it just, ooh, I, I get so emotional with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I have material that I just give. <laughs> um, if that is my, that's my way. That's my mm. gift of showing up in this world is um, that's the area that I do have experience in, um, especially like with children. There's children out there. If I've had parents who reach out to me um, because their children are going through something like that, yeah. this is my medicine is to help in these areas as well as shadow work, which all human beings can benefit from, mm. which is a fancy word for 
internal reflection, internal healing work. Yeah. I was thinking as you, as you were speaking, I can identify with the feeling of, I don't want anyone to have to go through trauma that, uh, that, that I, that took me so long because there wasn't anyone there f to hold my hand. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, I uh, can certainly identify with that as being a motivation because it's interesting, you know, with the, um, with, in my own life, uh, you know, with doing the show every day and then um, writing books, which books, you know, you don't write books to, uh, to make money. That's like, right. unless you're like, have a big funnel. The intention of them is to share whatever the learning is so it could benefit somebody else. Right. And, and, and when I, that when I heard you speak, I could certainly resonate with a, that deep feeling of this is the way I can show up, which I am taking care of myself and other people. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I know how easily I could be stretched and then lose myself. And I don't want that. So there's a balance between how I can be there for others and stay connected mm -hmm. to, to what I want and how I want it. And I think finding that balance took me a lot of years because I could self-sacrifice yeah. For, yeah. for, for, uh, for quite a bit of that time thinking I could, you know, if I could just help another person, if I could just help another person. Yeah. Bola Long writes us, he says, in my culture, people who have such experience almost all the time end up doing spiritual work. They say it is a calling. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's kind of funny because like I was thinking about the word spiritual and spirituality. And in a way it is a newfound way of saying religion. Although let's agree, it's very different than religion because in spirituality is so broad, it could mean so many things, but in general, it goes back to something that you said earlier is when you said, Andy, it anchors you back into yourself. So in the, in a way, spirituality could also be seen as personal development work. When you say I'm spiritual, you could say, yeah, I'm actually just taking responsibility for my own bullshit. Like that, right. that, that could be one other way of, uh, mm. of using that word, but we don't use the word and therefore it can be, it can go from tarot cards to uh, uh, speech classes, you know, like, you know, spiritual speech class to teach you how to, authentically communicate in uh, whatever the wording is that that's, that's jazzy and, and, and gets appeal at this moment. Um, I'm going to put this one up just because it makes me laugh. When you look at religion, what spirits are behind it? Oh, I think that varies for all of us. Right. You know, um, and because I know I'm trying to think of a way to lighten this because I know that probably got so heavy and I'm sure the show is not normally so heavy. And so I do apologize because I feel like that was probably such is a it, heavy Is dinner. it more heavy than a normal show? No, you should. You didn't is it? Okay. Show. Oh, no, no, no. We've gone some <laughs> deep, dark places. This okay. is. I mean, if you want to see a dark show, watch the Dark Night of the dark Soul. Dark Night of the Soul. <laughs> it's like our favorite show that no one else likes. <laughs> right good because i always like i try not to let it be um but yeah for religion it, leslie you just, know just i this, feel like just this moment where you apologized for whatever like that for me is like that's it like, like for me you're, i feel that you're fully welcomed and actually just the way you're showing up as yourself without trying to uh spice it up it's exactly what we yeah. Awesome. I would like her to spice it up a, a bit, please. What's the darkest thing that you could bring onto the show? Like, like, give us something really dark. Because if you said go extreme, the, like go extreme, I want to know what the dark is. So let uh, me, let me, let me find that. When you said spice, my mind went somewhere else. So no, good. we're not going in any of that direction. Um, well, and, and you say the darkest, and I think it's the most beautiful. But things come to me to die. So animals and people. Uh, people who are dying will intuitively get scared and reach out to me. Uh, and so I've actually, I'm stepping out as a death doula, a companion yeah. for dying. But animals, animals will come to me either to try and, so I, a healer's hands, I'm a, I say healer, but uh, healing, healing energy either prolongs life or it comforts the dying. Yeah. So I either help with, 
prolonging life or to make the passing easier. Hmm. I think that's beautiful. I find, I find that I'm spending more time interacting with people in the last stages of their life. And, uh, and, and there's something really beautiful about that. Some people don't, you know, some people are scared to go there. That's really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. People, death is still not, uh, really celebrated. People find it, uh, it's dark. It's morbid. It's uncomfortable. It's, um, but really it's like the, you know, the infinity, uh, it's just the transition. And to me, what's sad is that we go into death, which is the very end, fearful, regretful with our traumas, the hugs that were never given, the words that were never said. And that's sad to me that the very end is like that. So I, if I could change that, it would, how can we celebrate this? How can Mm -hmm. we bring art, creativity, music, joy, spice, zest? How can we make this Mm -hmm. a vibrant thing? Because if this is the very end, how can we make it like, let's go out with the bank. Let's make it amazing. What was the quote I said to you, Bambos, that you uh, that you told your mother? And I said, "Why did you?" Oh, um, she's living the consequences of an unexamined life, <laughs> and I love you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Andy, um, well, he's not doing it now. But there was a moment. There was a, a few months ago. He was actually creating with, with uh, my ex girlfriend um, yeah. a deck of cards about death which I was really curious about because in a way um, in this part of the world, death is really like tucked. Be- like even when someone dies, they have to prep them up, make them and put makeup and put them mm-hmm. in the coffin. You get five seconds to see them and then close. And yeah. in other cultures, death is actually more happening on a daily basis. Like people, you, you might see people dying on the streets mm. and it, it it's more like a, a part of life, so it, it's not it's not a foreign thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The death creating a death game was challenging because um, uh, the idea behind it was to make you know. There's a word that someone mentioned once that I wanted to do a show on to expand the talk aboutable. So the things that we can talk about without it needing to be dreaded or horrid. And and what I did with the deck was I mixed in playful questions with very intimate questions, you know, like and, and like, what would you rather be? How would you prefer to die eaten by a shark killed by O.J. Simpson or, you know, like like kind of like for like that absurd. And then, you know, and then if, you know, there was a funeral service. How would you want to be buried? Would you prefer to be cremated or buried? Or do you have a preference, right? Flushed down the toilet or something. <laughs> um, the, 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 and, and what I noticed, cause I, I did the, I did the whole, uh, the whole card deck. There was a uh, hundred plus of these type of questions and got a kind of a, what do you call them? A small group of people that do the, the kind testing of test group. And, and what I noticed is that you couldn't mix playful questions with that intense a question so you so because it wasn't setting the proper context either it's a game where you're having fun Mm -hmm. or it's a very meaningful moment where you're getting intimate around a subject that isn't easy which needs a different uh space holder you know one can be four people having a beer and the other has to kind of have someone who can hold space for very challenging moments potentially challenging almost moments. ritualistic yeah like ritualistic in in a way so uh, that that didn't pan out like i had expected but i, I learned um through the experience would, and then would and you consider making two decks I did. And then I got less enthusiastic because I think in a way you mentioned earlier, the joy I get is from lightening a topic that doesn't feel comfortable and making it more talk aboutable. So the fact that I would push it to a heavier discussion or make it only light made it less interesting for me. What it did do is it created another game, which I wanted. And then I had such joy in creating it. And then I saw the liability in the game and I stopped it. And the game was shameless. Who can state 
around a topic, the most shameful thing that they've ever experienced, and then allow that to be spoken out loud in a group. And then it dawned on me only afterwards from a friend said, Andy, you're setting people up for trauma because in order to win the game, they're going to say things that are the most shameful things they would ever imagine. And then a day later, they're going to think, oh, wow, I've let people know things about myself that now are a liability for me going forward. And then I realized that's not really what I want to put into the world. So I I slowed that down as well. So. I've been creating and enjoying, but not feeling like this is really uh, like uh, it's going to work the way I'd like it to. Yeah. You know, that would be so liberating, though. Um, the shame. I I wrote my entire life in a book and published it. That was the way I was going to stay. You know, I was just going to own it all, put it out there. And then it, it could never get used against me. I never had to worry about if a job was ever going to hire me or not hire me. If they find out yeah. about this. And I'm telling you, it's a liberating thing. So I understand what you were doing with that. And I think that's an excellent um, way of doing shadow work. If It's definitely to work with shame. Anything that you could be embarrassed about, embrace it. Yeah, <laughs> but, it. It, but imagine if the context is teenagers all trying to like win because – and that was the context yeah. I saw it could go to. And that's when I lost my interest. That's true. Because it feels like it feels like this deck of cards needs a, a space holder. You would need a space holder. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was the the the, the creative mm-hmm. enjoyment of finding an idea and learning things by trying, and then ex- then taking a whole another idea. That's part of life. I, I've yeah. and I, and you know I I always say I take things seriously and hold them lightly. So I'll do the experiment, do it really well, but when it doesn't show the things that I they get me excited. I say, what does it need in order to make me excited? And then I try something else. Yeah. So that's been a bit, bit of my journey. See, and I see that artistic, I see how there's an artistic thing to you. It's the, yeah. like the creator vibe with yeah. you. Yeah, that's- yeah. Well, I'm writing a third book about things that interest me only because if I don't satisfy that, that internal curiosity, like it's like, and, and I even describe it as every book is a painting that I put on the wall. And once you've painted it and put it on the wall, you have no more control. Anyone comes in and say, that's a shitty painting, you know, like, like the humor and, and the humor of paintings is that every painting speaks differently to each individual. So you'll get one group of people who love that painting And uh, maybe it uses the worst technique in the world, but they still love it probably Mm -hmm. even more because it's got the terrible techniques. And, um, and, and that's the weird thing about writing that I had to get over was to say, well, I'm not writing to write. Well, I'm writing because it's like, it needs to come out. And so if it needs to come out, then I'll just let that creative expression take me over. Cause I, I do feel it's about channeling. I don't feel like, I don't think I create, I think I make space and things get created. So that, that's a little bit how I experience that creative flow. Yeah. And it's interesting because sometimes the things that, um, we don't even feel like is very good or I've created or painted and wrote stuff that I didn't feel was very, um, special or my best or, but I've had people come to me later and was like, they really love that or spoke to them or it's important. And so it's just, you never know what something's going to mean to somebody down the road, Mm. you know, or even after we die. Um, I think that's, what's neat about you writing books and publishing them is that even after you've passed, there's just no telling when somebody might just pick up one of your books one day and it might be a very profound moment. And so Mm. I love that you are leaving. um, I call it fingerprints. It's like you're leaving fingerprints, you know, Mm, we we just are coming up to our hour. Um, are there things that we haven't discussed or things that actually would be nice to share? Or if people wanted to come to you, how would they find you? Um, I do have a group on Facebook that anyone's welcome to join. It's Shadow Work Enlightenment. Uh, Shadow sh- Work? Shadow Work mm-hmm. Enlightenment? Yes. And it, it's just a public community where everyone just shares uh, journal prompts where 
everyone's at in the shadow work journey and all different teachers, not just me, all different types of teachers speak and non-teachers speak. And it's a supportive community. I'm very, very big on holding safe space. Yeah. So I'm very proud. I will say this. I'm very proud that you will not find bullying in my group. I am yeah been so on top of that um, like, so it's wait, a very- wait, when you say not bullying because i see this is something that i found very interesting in facebook groups which we haven't discussed on the show before there is judgment undertones in text which one could say you can't read that into it, but you can see from how a word a, a sentence is phrased it leaves itself open to being seen as a judgment how do you deal with that well Thankfully, I haven't had too much of that type. I know what you're talking about. Um, I have like a set rules about being very respectful and kind. But so far, the way that I deal with that is just if I see it, I have some administrators that are really good at going through. I do believe that everyone's perception and opinions are valid. Like everyone's valid. And sometimes what I would say is rude. Someone else just doesn't see as rude. That's their personality. Some people are more abrasive than others. I was going to say, move to the Netherlands and you'll see everything here is abrasive. So yeah, some people, I mean, that's just their personality or like the culture and mean no harm. So I, I basically pay more attention to the response. Oh yeah. Because then in the response, you see how they process, how the person processed it. Yeah. Very well. Yeah. I've got, we have a group as well. It's a hashtag and it's fucking great. And the intention of the group is just to state the thing you have the most challenge or the most shame or the most guilt doesn't matter. And you get to write that in the group. I hate my parents and it's fucking great. I'm responsible for giving people yellow and red cards. And, and then, and basically you're right. Sometimes people will post and then someone might comment and then I'll wait to sort of see how the other person um, and, and then and the perfect the perfect response to it is I feel judged and it's fucking great. Like that would be the perfect response. But that's it, it, in a perfect world. Everyone gets to own the way that they're really feeling and not have to defend. Right. Um, but every so often I've just had to say um, this group isn't to respond or heal or fix. And then even that's triggered people because they don't see that writing a response to what someone said is actually healing them where, where, where it's like, no, this is group is only intended to share. Right. I've had long discussions around this. uh, The way I explain getting triggered and this is how, this is how I do this in my life is if something bothers me, like if someone says something and it, it upsets me, then I look at this as obviously a part of me feels like this could be true. Mm. Someone says I'm arrogant and I'm suddenly upset. Part of me must believe that I must be arrogant or that it could be true. So instead of looking at it, like I'm upset with Andy because he thinks I'm arrogant. I look at it. So Leslie's upset because Leslie might be arrogant. That could be true. Is that true? Yes. It, It must be true because I believe it's true. So let's look at this. And so I turn this into a mirroring effect of me. And so I start looking at, so where does Leslie feel that she might be prideful? Or here's my favorite. Let's say you're getting into a new relationship and you suddenly feel like you're inadequate. And you turn that in. You worry that the other person is going to find you inadequate. Um, You turn this question into, so Leslie feels that she's inadequate, that she may not be um, enough. Um, is this true? Well, yes, because you're feeling insecure, you're feeling triggered, you're feeling worried. And I would rephrase this question as, so if I was God and I had the chance, which when I say, if I was God, you know, that starts a whole nother thing. Right. But if I had the chance to, I get to choose my body, I get to create myself right now. Would I make changes? Well, then instantly I'm like, well, yeah, I would. Okay. Well, what are those changes? Well, instantly I'm like, oh, you know, I'd make my teeth different. I'd make my hair different. And so then you come with four things and then I'm looking at, well, what do these have in common? And then that leads into, well, well, that must hurt because we're not fully loving Leslie, are we? Yeah. And so this is part of how you can use every single trigger to really dig deep to. And then that leads to, so what does Leslie need right now 
to heal this. Love, baby. Full love, full acceptance. And not just in my head, like really integrate. Like I really need this love. I really need Mm -hmm. this acceptance. And maybe I really need a hug. And once you do this, like really do this, and even as many times you want, well, the next time someone says I'm, you know, prideful or arrogant or uh, I, you know, I'm getting a new relationship, I'm not triggered <laughs> because I've done this. Leslie, thank you so much yes, for the time that we you. shared. We send you a hug. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way.